Her last name may sound familiar, but our guest today is cutting her own path in cycling on the road, criteriums, mountain bike, gravel, and most recently, the track. Today, we sit down with Shayna Paulus, whose life off the bike is just as interesting as her life on it. Shayna Paulus, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. Well, boy, oh boy, you have had one busy year. Uh, we've been trying to get you on the podcast for a couple of weeks, if not months now. Uh, where are you now? And are you able to relax a little bit after your long and globetrotting season? Yeah, so I'm currently in Buffalo, New York. I've been here for about three weeks now, so not too long. Um, home base, though, is in Jacksonville, Florida. But since my fiance plays for the Bills, uh, we're currently up in Buffalo until hopefully the end of football season, which is sometime in late January, early February, if all goes well. So Buffalo, New York, how is the training? How's the weather conditions out there and how is the bike riding there? Uh, the weather is perfect right now, actually. Uh, surprisingly, it's a bit on the warmer side for this time of year up here. Um, but I'm not complaining at all. Being from Florida, I'm used to it being pretty warm <laughs> this time of year until well into December. But yeah, it's it's not too chilly. I mean, it's like in the 40s, 50s usually every day. This past week, though, it was like up into the 70s, 80s. So the temperature just dipped all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, hopefully it's it's I think it's not going to really start snowing and get really cold until uh, December or maybe later this month. So I'm enjoying the sunny weather for as, as long as possible and taking full advantage um, while it's still nice. Well, I am a huge American football fan as well as our producer, Mark. Uh, Jens, I got Jens watching the Super Bowl every time when we'd have training camp over in California. But your your fiancé, Eli, um, can you please pronounce his last name? Because I've tried and looked up, tried to look it up and I couldn't couldn't get the right pronunciation. Yeah, so it's Anku, A-N-K-O-U. So Eli Anku. Um, it's spelled like Eli, but um, he's French-Canadian, so uh, everyone calls him Eli. Um, but yeah, it's Anku, Eli Anku. Eli Anku. Well, I see, I, I stalk you on Instagram quite a bit, and I see that uh, that he's always out there supporting you. Um, that, I mean, you travel a lot, but like, do you always try to coordinate your schedules so that uh, maybe he can come to a bike race or do an event with you? And how, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, we try whenever it's possible. I mean, he uh, he's usually busy throughout the year, like especially in the spring because of OTAs, like spring football camp and all, which is six to eight weeks on average. Um, but usually the time when he's most free during the year is during the summer, which is usually when we have national championships and then a couple other races. So there's usually at least he's able to come to nationals every year. Sometimes it's one or two more races. Um, but yeah, he always tries to make an effort every year to come to at least one or two races, which I always really appreciate because I know how crazy his schedule is throughout the year. I mean, he is technically gone, um, for football reasons, six months out of the year. So, um, yeah, I always appreciate him whenever he's able to show up. And this year he came to nationals, which was really special. His brother came as well, who had never been to a bike race. So it was really nice. <laughs> so support uh, always plays an important role with uh, any given sport. So I suppose you um, support each other, right? 
And how much of each other sport do you understand? If you sit at the dinner table with him after a race, you go, oh yeah, and then I was in a 53-11. Would he understand what that is? Or he think that's a code for a certain move you did, like a tactic move. And the other way around, if he talks a certain thing he did on a field, in his own slang words, would you understand what he talks about? Uh, yeah, we we both have pretty good ideas of um, how our respective sports work, I would say. I mean, we've we've been together for quite, quite a while, so he has taught me a lot over the years in terms of how football works and, like, all the rules during the games and, like, um, different terms for different plays and, and whatnot. Um, and it goes both ways. Like, he knows quite a bit about um, how racing works because I've done quite a bit of explaining over the years. At first, like, when we first met, um, he didn't really have any any idea of how bike racing worked. I mean, in, in terms of like tactics and like specific details here and there. But um, yeah, I mean, also both ways, like I didn't know much about football before I met him. So yeah, it's it's been, it, we definitely learned a lot from each other over the years. And uh, yeah, I don't think I would have known as much about football had I not started dating a football player. <laughs> Well, our listeners probably recognize your last name from your little bro, Nielsen, ripping it up in the Tour de France World Championships, you know, the whole pro tour. But I understand that your mom was an elite athlete as well. Tell us a little bit about your mom's athletic prowess. Yeah, so my mom was a super um, accomplished runner, um, very talented from a young age. She broke multiple world records uh, when she was a junior athlete, I believe. I forget exactly what the records were, but it was all for long distance events. So like long distance track and field events and then cross country as well. Um, she was always purely an endurance distance runner uh, and her specialty was the marathon. So she actually went to the 1992 Olympics um, for Guam because she had been living in Guam for a while around that time. Um, and yeah, I believe the Olympics were in Barcelona, Barcelona, Spain that year. Um, but yeah, that's definitely like, I would say her biggest career accomplishment, um, was getting to go and represent Guam in the 92 Olympics. And I don't remember exactly how she placed cause she was pretty sick. I think during the event, she got some sort of stomach bug, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, even just to say that you got to go to the Olympics and compete is a huge achievement in and of itself. So yeah, she was a very, very accomplished runner and has always kind of been one of my <laughs> main inspirations ever since I was really little, <laughs> old enough to comprehend, you know, what an Olympian actually meant, you know. And what about your dad? Did he, did he have any background in sports? My dad as well. Yeah. So my dad was an Ironman triathlete, um, also just a really accomplished endurance athlete in terms of triathlons. Um, he was very big into cycling as well, but triathlon was always kind of his main focus. Um, basically ever since around the time he entered the military, um, I forget what year it was, but yeah, he was, he was a part of his air force or it was a military triathlon team and they would travel around together, go to all these different Ironmans around the world. My mom actually went with him quite a bit. Um, but yeah, that's actually how my parents met was, uh, at a local triathlon in Guam. Cause my dad was stationed in Guam at the time, um, uh, while he was in the air force for a few years and they just met through the local racing scene and the rest is history. So it's pretty cool. He's definitely another big inspiration of mine. 
So with both parents being active as a sports person, um, a runner and a triathlete, how did it happen that you picked cycling and your brother? Like, did mom or dad never like say, hey, how about you try my sport? Or how did that go? So, yeah, my brother Nielsen and I, we did a lot of sports growing up. It wasn't always just cycling. Uh, we did everything from like gymnastics when we were really, really little um, and up until until I think we were five or six years old. And then we did soccer. We did swim team. We did track and field triathlons. So we did we did do triathlons for a certain amount of years, I think, up until um, like mid mid to late high school. Um, we also did basketball, volleyball, um, what else? I think t-ball also when we were really little, I did horseback riding for a couple of years. So we did so many different sports. I'm sure I'm probably forgetting at least a couple other sports that we've tried at some point, but yeah, my parents were always super big proponents for having my brother and I do as much, or just try as many things as possible, um, to just kind of figure out what sport we enjoyed the most and, I think the exposure was really good, like to being able to try all those sports because it really gave us like a good idea of, um, or just, it was a good perspective, I guess, on what sport we really ended up enjoying the most. And that was cycling. Um, and it all started basically just from doing high school mountain bike races through the NorCal league. Um, yeah. And I think that's, that's really where it started for my brother and I was just through the NorCal high school mountain bike league. And That's really kind of where our cycling careers took off was through specifically the high school races. That's so cool that you got to go through all that with with your brother. Um, how would you got how would you define your relationship with with Nielsen? Uh, we've always been like pretty close. I mean, we've always done the same sports. Um, always like pretty competitive with each other, almost to a point where we would get too competitive sometimes. Um, I especially didn't like it when he started, uh, growing up and started getting stronger and started beating me. because I was always his older sister and, um, would always, you know, I, I would always beat him in the races when we were little, um, whether it was like running triathlon cycling. And then once we kind of got into our mid teenage years, that's when it all turned around. And then he started catching up to me and then started beating me. And it wasn't easy for me at first because I'm naturally a very competitive person, I know he is as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I would say overall it was, it was a very healthy competitiveness between the two of us and um, definitely one of the things that kept us close over the years because we, we pretty much did it like all, almost all the same sports from the time we were little up until, well, still now we're still doing the same sport at the same time, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> we are pretty close because we spent so much time like just – competing with each other or even like on the same teams together, um, doing different sports, soccer, swim team, triathlons, cycling. Yeah. We spend a lot of time together and I don't see him as much these days because he's based in Europe now. So that's kind of a bummer, but, um, we usually see each other at least once or twice a year. Um, and then FaceTime each other every now and then text. We always communicate. <laughs> Would you then ever dream of going to the same world championships or maybe together becoming like Olympian athletes with your brother for the uh, for your country? That would be a dream, honestly. Uh, yeah, ideally speaking, that would be pretty incredible. Um, and I know he would he would love to see that happen as well. 
um, whether it's next year or the following year. Um, yeah, being able to compete at the world level um, at the same time on the same team, like with the national team, like that would be something really special. And uh, hopefully it can happen next year. If not next year, then at some point. Yeah, if not next year in, in Paris, uh, 2028, we have the Olympics in Los Angeles. And that's where you went to school, correct? You went to college at the University of California in Los Angeles? Yeah, I did. Um, so I went there from 2012 to 2016, graduated in 2016, and then uh, continued to live in LA for another year, year and a half after that. Um, but yeah, I studied psychology. Um, didn't start out that way. I went into college thinking I wanted to be a physiological science major and then switched it to psychobiology, which is a mix of like biology and psychology. <laughs> um, very interesting. I think UCLA is the only university that has that major, um, but then didn't like all the, the chemistry and the physics classes involved with those majors and then ended up switching to just psych and ended up falling in love with that major. And that's that's the route that I ended up taking. So then I guess when you say you fall in love with that, um, after your psyching career, you can see yourself going back to that job and uh, working in that uh, domain? Yeah, I mean, maybe not as a like psychiatrist or psychologist, but um, the great thing about being a psych major is I feel like it's pretty applicable, like the skills you learn from you know, studying that all through college, I feel like can help you so much in different career fields. And for me, I feel like personally, since I, I would love to go into physical therapy. Um, and I do, I do know that to go back to school, which I would need to do to get my, um, PTA certification, which is basically a physical therapist assistant certification, or if I wanted to go back and become uh, a doctor in physical therapy, I would need to have a solid amount of um, psychology courses in my background as part of the prereqs for the, for that grad school. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, one of my goals outside of cycling at some point, I would love to go back to school and, um, become a PT or a PTA. So you graduate in 2016 from UCLA. Um, I, I remember because I, I started doing the, the Zwift rides with the team 2020, um, girls way back, like, I think it was right, right at the kickoff of the pandemic, but from like 2000 to six at 2016, after you graduated, um, where did your cycling take you? Were you already associated with, um, Nicola Cranmer's team all the way basically out of college? Yeah. So it was actually a year after I graduated in 2017 that, um, so I, my family's pretty good friends with Mike Sayers and Mike Sayers knew Mari Holden pretty well, who was at the time the director of Team 2020. Um, and so I actually got connected with the team through Mari Holden. Um, she get, she basically put in a good word for me um, to Nicola, the, the team manager slash owner, and then kind of just the rest is history. Um, yeah, and that I didn't officially join the team until... 2017. Yeah. And that was my first year racing on the road. Cause before that year, I'd always just been a mountain biker, um, cross country mountain biking to be specific. And that's kind of all that I really focused on outside of school, um, through my college years and high school, I guess. Um, but yeah, didn't make the change from mountain biking to road until 2017 when I joined 2020 and, uh, yeah, 
So, and then uh, on top of that, you just recently returned from the World uh, Track Championships in Paris, where you were part of a pursuit team. So when did you discover your interest or your love uh, for track cycling? And how was it the first time to go on the track? Because out of my experience, I mean, I was 10 years old when I did it or 11. I was terrified. I was terrified to ever go above the blue line, which is halfway, I suppose. Yeah, you're talking about the water line, <laughs> that the blue line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was not going to lie. It was a bit scary for me at first because my first experience wasn't until I think it was early in 2018. So, yeah, my first time ever on a track was at this talent ID camp in Colorado Springs in the spring of uh, 2018. And I didn't I went into this camp like it was kind of out of nowhere the invite to go to this camp, but I, I couldn't refuse. I was like, why not? This sounds like such a cool opportunity. Um, and I'm glad I did. because yeah, it was, I mean, ever since then, like I've fallen more and more in love with the track and, um, yeah, I feel like it's definitely a, a discipline that suits me pretty well in terms of like how punchy it is and, you know, what it requires in terms of like your top end power and like how attentive you have to be at all times on the track. Cause Yeah, my first time on the track, I'm not gonna lie, it was a bit scary. And there were a few times where <laughs> I wasn't fully like a hundred percent locked in in terms of what was going on around me on the track. And I almost ran into a couple people and it was just a very, there were a couple of very close calls. Um, so you have to learn pretty quickly. I feel like thankfully I, I have that mountain bike and road background. So I think that the skills I developed over, over so many years from even just being a mountain biker kind of crossed over pretty well onto the track in terms of bike handling skills and um, just being aware of your surroundings at all times. Um, but yeah, the first time on my track, on the track, I'll never forget. It was definitely an eye-opening experience. And um, like, even to this day, I feel like I'm still learning new things about, you know, how to race on the track. And I feel like I've only been, this is my first year racing, um, even though my first time on the track was a few years ago. Um, But with COVID and all, and with the Olympic buildup last year and the year before, there wasn't a lot of camps going on. So this is this is actually the first year that I've really kind of dived headfirst into the world of track racing. And it's just been so much fun. Wow. Mountain biking, road riding, Zwifting. I saw you at a gravel race here in, in uh, South Carolina and now the track. I love that approach of you know, that multidisciplinary sort of, sort of rider, because I think you can learn and things translate from, from discipline to discipline. But when you're getting ready, you, you just don't show up at the world championship team pursuit. Tell us a little bit about your preparation and what the national team did to get you young women ready for that, that, that event in Paris. Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely, it, it definitely was a, a pretty big time and an effort commitment. I mean, we had a, we had a pretty big camp leading into worlds in Portugal, um, uh, which I believe is the first time that they've held a camp in per Portugal, um, with the whole national team, uh, the sprint group and the endurance group. So that was, that was really cool. Um, so we were, yeah, we were in, I forget the name of the, the town, but it was a pretty tiny, quiet town in Portugal, um, the track is kind of random there. I feel like because the town is so tiny and there's not much going on. It's not, it's not even, I mean, the nearest big city is like an hour away, 
But yeah, that was that was really amazing. I mean, Portugal had great weather the entire time we were there and definitely got some solid training and we were having like double track session days almost every day while we were there. Um, and then I think we were only only two days out of the entire time we were there, not on the track. So just like a road ride outside. But yeah, pretty much every day we were on the track and um, almost every day was a double session day. So like a session in the morning and then a session um, like mid afternoon. Um, so it was a lot of back and forth. And, um, usually every training camp that we have is like that as well. Like we're on the track almost every day and a lot of double sessions. Um, so I'm kind of used to it a little bit at this point. Uh, we had a camp back in, uh, April leading into the first nations cup in Glasgow for three weeks or two weeks. It was two weeks. Um, and it was the same thing there. A lot of double sessions, um, almost every day on the track. And then we had another camp leading into the second nation's cup in Milton. Um, and that was like a week and a half or so. Um, so it's definitely, it's, if I had it my way, I would, I would like to be able to spend more time on the track throughout the season, but with the road season and how packed that can be throughout the year, um, it's just kind of impossible to, to host a camp that's more than like two, three weeks long. Um, maybe a month tops, but yeah, somehow we make it work. <laughs> so being on Nicola Kramer's team for a while, this was the first year that you switched to Legion of Los Angeles. How does that work trying to work out around all those national team track camps that you're going to? Do you have kind of a free schedule and then you just fit in the racing with Legion of Los Angeles when you're free? Or is there certain obligations that are kind of unmovable for you? Uh, yeah. So the great thing with Legion is they've been very supportive and quite flexible with the track schedule this year, um, in terms of the races and the training camps. Um, somehow I think it actually ended up working out a bit better than I expected just in terms of, um, just how like the two, like the road schedule and the track schedule lined up. Um, so it was tricky, um, cause there was a little bit of overlap, but we definitely made it work. And I, I think it, it went better than I expected initially at the beginning of the year. I'm not going to lie, but, um, next year it might be <laughs> a bit of a different story just because of, uh, there's like a slight change in the track schedule. So everything's kind of been moved up a bit earlier, like by a whole month. And then, um, I think two of the three nations cups are going to require quite a bit of travel because, there's one in Indonesia next year, and then there's another one that's in Egypt. So that'll just re require more times and more time in terms of travel um, before and between those races. Um, so that that'll probably be the biggest conflict with the road next year. But this year, yeah, I, I'd say it worked out pretty well. And you know, also our track coach Gary Sutton has been quite flexible with my road schedule and. Um, yeah, it, all it takes is just communication and trying to map everything out. And I'd say we did a pretty good job with that this year. At uh, these World Cups, are you keen on trying other disciplines like points race or anything else to get more experience? Or you go, nah, I stick to my pursuit career. I would love to do a mass start event at some point, <laughs> whether it's the points race or elimination. Um scratch or tempo, like any of those, like, I mean, they all seem so fun. And I've, I've been watching, um, a lot of the races throughout this year. And yeah, the more that, <laughs> the more I watch them, the more I get that itch to like, 
like want to jump in and do it myself. Um, and it has, it has been something that I've brought up with our coach and we do have a camp coming up just literally in a couple days that I'll be at. And we're going to try some stuff with uh, a mass start bike, which I'm really excited about. Cause I've always just purely been a pursuit rider. I've never even been on a mass start bike. <laughs> um, it's always been pursuit bars on a pursuit bike. So yeah, I'm excited to to potentially get that opportunity. Hopefully it happens at some point next season. So when do you make your plans of uh, set your objectives for next year? I mean, you're a year, you're going to be a year closer to the Olympics. Are you going to be fully uh, committed to making the Olympic team in the team pursuit? Or are you going to kind of split the time with Legion and, you know, all the other kind of events that you do? I mean, cause it seems like it's getting close to that time where, Gary's going to want to, you know, that specialization and kind of have control over all those variables throughout the year. Yeah. So next year is going to be a big year, um, for the track because that's next year is basically when the points start mattering towards Olympic qualifications. Um, so it'll be definitely more high pressure, um, more time commitment as well in terms of going to all the camps and all the races. So we can get, we can just make sure that, you know, we're, we're getting as much points as possible to go towards those qualifications. Um, so my, I, yes, I will say my priority is going to be track. Um, and I have talked with, um, the team, like my road team, which is DNA for next year about how we're going to make the track schedule work with the road schedule. Um, and it's, it's, it's nice because, um, the team is always, they constantly tell me that they're in full support of me and my track goals. Um, kind of like how Legion was this year, which I'm so thankful for. Um, there will be a few overlaps with some races, especially in the spring, since the track nations cups are basically February through, um, April this year. So I don't know how much I'll get to do with them on the road in the spring, but yeah, my, my full focus will be, well, not full, but most of my focus will be on the track for, for next spring, just to get, help the team get as many points as possible. Um, but after that, we'll, we'll definitely be seeing me do much more road, like early summer through probably late, late summer, early fall, just as many, many road races as I can fit in with the schedule. Um, yeah, but it's nice because our track coach is also very supportive of me on the road, so we'll make it work somehow. <laughs> I got some winter travel plans and I wanted to share one trick I used to get ready. I open up the Trail Forks app, find the region I'm headed to, and check the popularity heat map. It's an easy way to see local favorites at a glance, and it's based on real data, not ratings. It's how I can confidently plan which trails to hit on my next trip. Right now, you can save 40% of global access to the popularity heat map and the entire TrailFox app with TrailFox Pro. Prices go up after November 28, so don't miss out on this holiday sale. Trail Forks Pro unlocks online access to the Trail Forks app anywhere. It's perfect for mountain biking, but it's also got tons of winter activities on the trails covered, like fat biking, Nordic skiing, snowshoeing, snowmobiling, and more. There are winter-specific layers like snow grooming and the snow forecast. And of course, favorite features like trail reports and activity recording. This 40% off deal is for TrailFox Pro with Outside Plus. 
so you get to bundle up with all the goods from the outside network. That includes unlimited digital content from brands like Outside, Value News, Ski and Backpacker. I'm checking out the Winter Gear Guide right now to find my next pair of skis. Like I mentioned, prices are only going up after November 28th. Find out more and get 40% off at trailforks.com slash podcast. Um, we had um, Kelly Staley from the new NCL on our podcast a few weeks ago. And we were just wondering if these four days of racing they're going to put on next year if they be part of your racing program or you haven't had time to look so far into the future yet? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's totally true. Yeah. I'm actually excited to see how that, uh, pans out next year. because I have been hearing quite a bit of people talk about it. Um, it sounds like a very interesting format and I'm actually excited to see like who ends up going to the races and how they pan out. Um, I've heard there's also quite a bit of, prize money involved, um, which could be a huge, I mean, it is a huge incentive for a lot of people to show up to those races. Um, I'm not sure if my team DNA will be at those events next year. Um, I haven't heard. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited to, to see how that pans out. Well, I'm, I'm sorry for jumping the gun and assuming that you were staying with Legion and you mentioned DNA. So tell us a little bit about the DNA team that you you're going to ride for next year. So DNA has been around for a little while now. Uh, it's based in Salt Lake City, Utah. And yeah, they they don't have a men's team. It's just purely a women's team. Uh, I believe they also have like a ambassador program as well, um, which is pretty cool. But yeah, so they they're planning to do quite a bit of international racing next year. So they'll they'll be going over to Europe. And they're going to do a pretty big block in the spring. Um, so doing a lot of one-day races basically throughout all of the spring. And then um, kind of mixing that in with some of the U.S. races. So uh, like the bigger stage races like Joe Martin and Redlands, Gila, a um, couple other races, a couple crits here and there uh, throughout the summer. And then they're going to do another European block in late summer, early fall. So like Ardash. Um few races around Ardash, and then they're going to do the Tour of Colombia as well, which they did this past year. Um, Ardash they did as well. Um, so it'll be kind of a lot more international European races next year with them, I believe, <laughs> which I'm excited for because I've always wanted to, to race a good amount in Europe. And I kind of had my first taste of that this past summer with the national team and absolutely loved it. So I'm excited to to be doing more of that next year with DNA. And maybe you get a chance to see your brother more often when you're in Europe already. It is easier to fly an hour within Europe. Basically, Europe, within one and a half hours, you can more or less reach every point of Europe, right? So you don't have to cross the ocean to see yeah. your brother. So that could be a nice bonus. And talk to your brother about European racing. It is a little different. Pelotons are normally larger, roads are smaller, so there's just more rubbing shoulders, there's just more stress at uh, European races. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm sure you will love it. Yeah, I am so excited. Yeah, again, like my first time racing, at least on the road in Europe, this past August, September was definitely very eye-opening, but it it just getting that experience of being able to do those few races that we did was 
kind of like, it's driving me more to want to do it more because of how much more of a challenge it was compared to a lot of the races I've done in the U S and just like the sheer field sizes. I've never raced in field sizes that had much more than a hundred women, at least in the U S and seeing field sizes that were 140, 150 plus women. I mean, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty mind blowing and made the racing that much more fun, that much more dynamic and, I just really, really enjoyed it. And I am looking forward to doing more of that next year. Can't wait. <laughs> well, I tell you one thing. Also getting to see Nielsen. <laughs> I can't wait to see my brother more often. Hopefully we do cross paths at some point next year. <laughs> well, I tell you, just listening to your story, I mean, you, you are growing up in a very special part of history for, for women's cycling. Uh, the sport is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, the Tour de France Femme is like a huge hit. Everyone can't stop talking about it. Of course, there's a big European scene. But you've experienced a lot so far in your, your brief career in, in cycling. What do you think needs to change for you to be happy, happy and confident that it will be even better for the next generation for women cycling? What do you think we can improve upon? I think that there's definitely been some good improvements just over the last few years, I guess, in terms of, uh, you know, like you said, the Tour de France of X-Wift, um, you know, it's the first time that they've had a Tour de France for women and I forget how many years, but it has been a while. Um, and yeah, I think with that having been done this year, I think if we can just keep, you know, adding more races, you know, there's a lot of races out there that they're only men's races. And there's actually more than I can even count in my head that are just men's races. To, so I think to see if we can at some point see more races that are kind of, you know, like women's races with men's races, kind of like how they're doing with the Tour de France, I think that would be a significant improvement. Um, TV coverage is another big factor. I think the more, more races that we can see with easy TV coverage, I think that would go a long way. Um, equal prize money is another big one. <laughs> I mean, everybody kind of, kind of knows about that one and how big the discrepancy tends to be <laughs> at almost all races, not just on the road, but you know, in other disciplines as well. Um, although I will say, I think in road, you tend to see the biggest discrepancy. Um, but yeah, I think if we can just keep heading in that direction to where we kind of see things are a little bit more leveled out, more equal. Um, that's how I would like to see things go. I um, noticed um, the point you put out that we connect the women's and men's races like we did with the Tour de France. Um, for me, I mean, my personal opinion is that I think that is a really good idea because then people associate, hey, it's cycling, it's summer, it's July, Tour de France, and then women's Tour de France comes right on top of it. So the fans just keep on following, you know, the in that tour fever and just keep on going because especially the, the women's Tour de France this year was a huge success. I mean, uh, from what I know, it exceeded all expectations in terms of like the sporting quality, also the just the pure numbers of visitors and the TV for the TV rating where it was all good. So I believe it's a really good idea to, to combine these two races and have them racing at the same time or at the same circuit if possible. I believe that's that's a good idea. 
And then maybe later when women's mm -hmm. cycling is big and strong enough, they can go, nah, we won't have our own calendar. But for the moment, I believe it's a good idea to combine it. Uh, or how, how do you see that? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, even like, I know a lot of women were saying how at races where, like, I guess in gravel races, like the discrepancy between like the courses or like the distances between the men and women. Um, like I know with the Tour de France, for example, like the women's race is only what, seven, eight days long, eight days compared to the men who are going for three weeks, you know? So that's also a bit of a discrepancy. And, you know, the fact that the men's race is so much longer, they get so much more, you know, coverage because the race is so much longer. Um, I'm not saying that the women should do the same exact distance as the men or the same number of days, you know, I don't know if that's the smartest move to make the races that much longer than they already are. But I think if there was a way that they could just get even more TV time, more coverage, whether it's, you know, making the race more days, but each day just slightly shorter. Um, I think that could also be another possible uh, improvement. That that brings up an interesting point because, you know, being an ex-pro myself, and it, it seems like the male Peloton, you know, they can concentrate on that being their sole income, their sole job. What is it like in the women's Peloton to make the ends meet? I mean, we've heard of women having to have like a, a part-time job. But like, what have you had to go, go through to get to where you are today to be able to, you know, basically pay your bills? And, you know, if, if we can incorporate like a minimal salary and an equal prize list, that was, is obviously going to help. But what are some of the challenges that you've faced as a female cyclist in the past dealing with financial obligations? It's a great question. Um, and it's it's definitely something that I feel like should be talked about more often because, yeah, I mean, for the most part, most women, at least in the U.S., I should I should say, because I don't I guess I don't have enough knowledge to speak for most of the riders who are based in Europe. But in the U.S., I mean, most riders aren't even making any type of minimum salary, if anything at all, um, which is very unfortunate. And it, it's kind of always been that way. Um, but I mean, also, even my first couple of years, I wasn't making anything. All my years as a professional mountain bike racer, I wasn't making a salary. Um, it wasn't literally until maybe three years ago that I started making something and now I'm, I'm very fortunate to be at a point where I'm able to, to live mostly off of my, my team income, which is great. Um, it's still not a crazy amount by any means, <laughs> not living super luxuriously off of that salary alone. Um, so for me, like personally, like I've had to do a lot of different things outside of cycling, everything from, you know, coaching, not really just because I had to, it's coaching is something that I really enjoy doing. And it's something that I'll, I'll continue to do for however many years, even after I'm done racing, most likely just because I legitimately love working with athletes. Um, I've worked in PT clinics just as a rehab technician, you know, just minimum salary, um, minimum wage. Uh, I've also been an Uber driver, <laughs> which I actually did quite a bit of when I was living in LA. 
So I would do Uber Eats. I would do um, like food delivery through Postmates, Uber Eats, um, also driving people through Uber um, and Lyft. I was a Lyft driver as well. <laughs> uh, so I've done I've done quite a few different things. Um, I've been a lifeguard, uh, taught swim lessons just for one summer, one or two summers. Um, what else? I've done some things through social media, like um, working with different brands, uh, brand promotions, that type of thing. I still continue to do that because I'm pretty active on social media and I feel like I have a pretty strong presence as well. So I think um, that's always nice to be able to work with different brands, uh, just literally through social media, doing different posts and trying to promote different brands. Um, something I enjoy doing as well. So yeah, I've done a lot of different things <laughs> and, uh, it's definitely, it's, I've definitely enjoyed everything that I've done in the past. Um, but yeah, I think coaching is definitely something that I'll continue to do even after cycling. Um, social media work I love to do as well. I could see myself continuing to do that, um, years down the road. Um, yeah. And like I said, I'd love to get into PT at some point. Um, after cycling, because I'll have to go back to school to do that, of course. But yeah, would definitely love to do that at some point. Um, so yeah, I've had to do a lot of different things, you know, to kind of create like a stable sort of income over the years. Um, but yeah, it's 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 definitely been fun trying a lot of different jobs. <laughs> Just listening to you, it sounds like you're a pretty busy bee there. Um, what do you do if there's any spare time, any free time? What do you do to just relax? You read books, you go fishing, or you just watch Netflix? Anything you like to do to just, this is just me, I just want to relax and enjoy this? Yeah, lately I've been doing, and mostly just because my fiance kind of got me into it, um, archery. So he's, he's, he was, he got pretty into archery this past year. And then, uh, he got me into it <laughs> uh, late last year while we were living in Buffalo. Um, there's like an, a nearby indoor archery range that we go to an outdoor range as well that we've been going to lately up here in Buffalo. So that's something we both enjoy doing outside of our respective sports, just to relax and spend time with each other, clear our heads, uh, just have fun. Uh, we also love to go fishing whenever we're back home in Florida because we have this tiny lake outside of our back, just outside of our backyard. Um, so we can literally just walk through our backyard, through our fence, and then go fishing whenever we want. Um, we've gone deep sea fishing. That's another thing we love to do. We love, well, I love to read as well. That's another thing that relaxes me. Um, watch movies. I'm a big movie person. Yeah, I, I do. I do like to do quite a few different things outside of cycling <laughs> little follow-up question because i do um archery as well i mean on a total amateur base you have a compound bow or the recurve or both both <laughs> oh wow both. fantastic just like me just like me and i i have difficulties to keep my kids away from it oh wow <laughs> so because you would hey daddy let's go bow shooting like, oh, i don't know i'll make sure only one who helps holds the bow and everybody else please stand behind that person with the bow mm -hmm. in his hand yeah um so you pray similar interest to myself i love the reading the fishing mm -hmm. i love the archery as well fantastic yeah it's been fun i just got a compound bow like a few months ago this past spring so that's a bit newer to me compared to the recurve but 
both I think are equally fun for me. I really enjoy both. I was going to jump in there, but uh, Jens just said it. It sounded like you were going down the list of Jens's uh, things. But what's that one thing, Jens, that you love so much? The geocaching. Geocaching. If you would have yeah. said geocaching. Mm-hmm. I said you guys are like, you know, twins or something like that because you pretty much mentioned all the other things that Jens loves to do to, to relax. But okay, not only a strong rider, a strong woman, we've already said that you have a strong media presence. But tell us about some of the, um, not, I wouldn't call them charities, I'd say the causes that you promote on, on Instagram. Uh, tell us a little bit about the Dreamcatcher Foundation and Outride, and maybe some of your other interests there on that, that platform that you have. Yeah, so the Dreamcatcher Foundation is a nonprofit my fiance Ely and I started a few years ago, back in 2019, 2018. And basically the main, the main goal through our foundation is to empower native youth through sports, um, via like sports equipment, whether it's bikes and footballs or even just hosting sports camps. We hosted a football, like a totally free of charge football camp for, for local and native youth up in Ely's hometown of Ottawa, Canada back in the summer of 2019. And had almost 150 kids show up. So that was a huge success. And um, yeah, like I said, our, our main goal is to, to empower Native youth um, just through sports, um, host sports camps um, whenever we can. We hosted another uh, clinic. We called it a bike rodeo event back in this, this past May. Um, we went out to the local Seneca Nation, which is uh, a couple reservations here in the Buffalo area, one called the Allegheny Reservation and then the Cotaragas reservation just south of Buffalo. Uh, we were able to donate almost a hundred bikes to the kids, a hundred helmets, and, um, just hosted the event at their local community center, taught them about bike safety. Uh, Ely got to talk to them a bit about football. Uh, of course they're all Bill fans out there <laughs> being, uh, being in the Buffalo area. So that was really cool. Um, and yeah, just seeing a lot of kids, you know, ride a bike for the first time, get their first bike because they'd never had a bike before was one of the most rewarding things that I've ever experienced. So we are hopefully going to do another clinic or camp like that at some point uh, next year or the following year. Not entirely sure when yet, but at some point it's going to happen. And we also want to host an event uh, on the Oneida Reservation, which is where I have family ties. or on Ely's reservation up in the Doki's First Nation uh, reservation up in Canada, where he has family ties as well. So uh, at some point we will host another event. It's just a matter of when and where. (laughs) Um, And then the other side of the foundation is to highlight the missing and murdered indigenous indigenous women and girls crisis in North America, sorry, North America. And that basically is a pandemic that most people have no idea even exists. Um, but it is such a dire uh, epidemic that's currently happening in North America. A lot of it has to do with human trafficking of Native women um, and a lot of uh, different uh, like extractive industry um, man camps that happen to be on or near Native reservations. That's where a lot of these crimes are happening, where a lot of women are um, going missing and murdered. Um, and that's something that we really feel like we need to shed light on because it's a it's a crisis that not a lot of many not a lot of people know about. Um, but 
everybody should know about. And so that's kind of what we aim to do through our foundation, um, aside from empowering Native youth, is just to shed light on the MMIWG crisis. I must say, Shana, it was an absolute privilege to have you as a guest uh, today on our podcast. I mean, it was just fantastic. And I think you used the word twice, eye-opening. It was eye-opening. All the different interests you have, your uh, social work, uh, the presence you have on social media, then uh, these camps you have, um, your foundations, and your pretty great athletes on the uh, pretty good athlete on top of it. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving us the time to talk to you and thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me. It was such an honor and yeah, it's great talking to both of you. You guys have, I've definitely been fans of both of you for a long time. So it was an honor. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for this week, folks. Huge thanks to Shayna Paulus for being our guest. Thanks for listening, and please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Moza. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. I know you've already heard a little bit about Trail Forks from Bobby and me, but there's a big 40% off sale now until November 28. And I'm also pretty excited about the winter ahead. Sure, I use Trail Forks all the time for mountain biking, but it's also got tons of features and layers for the winter. If you're headed out fat biking or Nordic skiing, use the snow grooming layer to find trails nearby. You can also check out the snow forecast right in the app. See slope angle and the avalanche forecast and filter the map for all kinds of winter activities from snowmobiling to snowshoeing. And you get to bundle up with Outside Plus. That means your subscription includes all the goods across the outside network, including full access to adventure films and TV shows on Outside Watch. I'm going to catch the digital release of this year's Warren Miller film on November 25. The entire Warren Miller archive is there. November 28th is the last day you'll be able to get 40% off this season. So if you're thinking about it, now's your chance. Find out more and get this deal at trailforks.com slash podcast.